We're looking this morning at Genesis chapter 27. You'll find that on page 21 if you're using a copy of the church Bible. And we're going to read the entirety of the chapter, verses 1 through 46. So I know it's going to be helpful for you to have your own copy of Scripture open and to be reading along with me this morning. Genesis 27, 1 through 46. And before we read God's word and hear it preached, let's take a moment and call on him again for his blessing on this portion of our service. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do look to you and call on you and ask that you would do a great and wondrous work among us. We know that when you bless the preaching of your word to our souls, when you give us resurrection power in Jesus Christ through your spirit applying your word to us in new and fresh and saving ways that we are um, being carried on to glory. We are one step closer to being in your presence and to being freed from these bodies of sin and corruption. And so we pray, our Father, that you would do a great work among us. We pray that we would know the riches of the covenant blessings that are freely ours in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak and that you would make us to hear your voice and that those who hear would know that you have given them life and given it to us more abundantly. And so, Lord Jesus, please draw near and please act on our behalf, we pray in your name. Amen. Genesis 27, beginning in verse 1. Now, continuing on in that account of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau picking up Um, where we sort of began back in chapter 25, where we're told that um, God had said that the older would serve the younger when the twins were still in the womb of um, Rebekah and had done no good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And now the boys are grown. And this uh, this is the outworking of what we read back in chapter 25. Now Moses writes, when Isaac was old, And his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die." Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them as delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless us before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father... And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, 
I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Which means to supplant or to swindle. For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. Behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword shall you live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob. Because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you, planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women 
Those are the ones that Esau had married. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, a few years ago, one of the greatest television shows in American history was directed and produced by Vince Gilligan, a show that that some of you maybe have seen that goes by the title Breaking Bad. And one of the things that you quickly realize in this show is that everyone in the show breaks bad. Everyone in the show who starts out sort of leading what looks like a normal and, and perhaps even somewhat virtuous life starts to act out the depravity of their hearts. And, and the show is one of those great shows that really deals honestly in some ways with what the fallen world is and what men and women are like in the fallen world. You really see the character. Uh, Someone asked Vince Gilligan if he had grown up as a Christian, and he said, no, but I've just always found the Judeo-Christian worldview to be most in accord with the world in which we live. And and one of the heartbreaking things as you watch this show is to see how uh, the family of the main character, Walter White, falls apart. You see him... Um, he, he gets cancer, he's a high school teacher, he needs money, he wants to provide money for his family. He is, he is acting out in order to provide for his family, and so he begins to make the best methamphetamines that anyone has ever made, and he ends up becoming one of the greatest drug dealers in North and South America. And in the course of what he does, out of these motives to see his family provided for and cared for, you see his family disintegrate, you see his wife fall apart, you see his son fall apart, and, and your heart sort of breaks for this family as you watch this family that was just this normal, average family drifting along, and then everyone begins to break bad, and everyone begins to act out the depravity of their hearts. And what's so interesting about that is that's exactly what we see here in the covenant family. That's exactly what we see here in the covenant home. We see everyone in this family, everyone. This is, remember, Abraham's son, the heir of the promises, Isaac's Family, this is the church of God. This is the only church that exists. It's the only church that exists. And everyone in this family, everyone in this covenant home is breaking bad and acting out out of sinful desires and sinful motives. They are acting out the depravity of their hearts. It's actually a heartbreaking chapter. Um, There's emotion and there's intensity in this chapter when Isaac trembles exceedingly because he realizes that Jacob has deceived him and has stolen the covenant blessing. And, and, and you almost start to feel sorry for Esau, who cries out with a loud voice, bless me, oh, even bless me, my father, is there not a blessing left for me? And there is more emotion and there is more, um, there is more plot in this chapter than you will find in most chapters of the Bible. And yet it fits strategically into everything that God has been doing. It fits perfectly into the story that God has been unfolding through redemptive history. It fits perfectly in the plan of redemption, and it fits perfectly in the narrative that God is unfolding here in Genesis. Remember that when God called Abraham, he called him in order to bless him. That was the purpose. The the entirety of God's grace to Abraham, God calling Abraham to go out from his father's house, from his family and from the land in which he was dwelling with them to a land that I'll show you. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. Uh, Nations will be blessed in you. The entire 
purpose of God in calling Abraham, and may I say this this morning, the entire purpose of God in calling anyone is to confer on them his spiritual and saving blessings. That was the purpose. God was going to show that he came to restore the blessing. Very interesting, in this chapter, the word bless or its various forms as nouns or verbs are, is used 22 times. It is, it's striking. It's, it, it stands out so prominently that, that you understand that that just rises to the forefront, that this is all about the covenant blessing. And everything that happens in this dysfunctional family, everything that happens in this family that, that it's so sad to watch. Here is, here is Isaac. He is the, the heir of the promises. He is the one who has already received the blessings. He is the one in whom the Redeemer is going to come. He is the one who is set out as the son of Abraham, the type of Jesus Christ. He is, he is a believer. You, you might not know this looking at this chapter, but what... Isaac does, even in this chapter, even with all of his sin, even with all of his wrong motives, even in his sinful preference of his ungodly son, he is still acting in faith. Hebrews 11.20 says, by faith, Isaac blessed Esau and Jacob. And so Isaac is this great and godly man, and yet Isaac is horribly backslidden at the end of his life. He is horribly turned away from the Lord. He doesn't look like the Isaac that you see when you first meet Isaac in Scripture. The first time we met Isaac, he was out in the field meditating, probably on the covenant promises, looking up at the stars, thinking that God had told his father that in him, in his seed, and in his descendants, they would be as numerous as the stars of the sky in multitude. And there is Isaac meditating on the word of God when God brings him his bride. And he is, he is timid, and he is meek Isaac. He is lowly Isaac. He is gentle Isaac. He is not like um, his son Esau. And one of the things that I think that we see as, as this family begins to disintegrate and as everything comes to a head and now this final culmination of, of the sin in this dysfunctional covenant home comes to a head, we see that Isaac has become something that he wasn't ever before when he was young. He's become a worldly man. He only cares about... Uh, the, the, his son's hunting. He only cares about eating food. He only cares about the flesh. He loves his fleshly son. He loves the son that models what he wishes he could be. He was a timid man. Esau was much more like his father Abraham. He was adventurous. He was a warrior. He was a hunter. Isaac sees something in his son and he shows sinful preference to that son because there was something in him that he wished was true about himself. But as we see this unfold and we see this family fall apart, and very interesting, by the way, this family is one that never comes together and talks together as a family. You have, you have Isaac talking to Esau. You have uh, Rebekah talking to Jacob. You have Esau talking to Jacob. You have Jacob talking to Isaac. And everyone is talking to someone and about each other in this family. It is absolutely dysfunctional. It is a model of what a family should not be. And yet it is the divine family that God has set apart for himself. This is the covenant family. Of all the families on the earth, this is the family God is most fully working in by his grace. 
And I think what we see when we look at this family and we look at the backsliding and we look at the rebellion and we look at the sinful preference and we look at the, the hostility among family members and everything else, yet nestled into all that is what God is doing in conferring the covenant blessing on Jacob. That's, that's the background for what God is doing. Jacob is seeking to steal the blessing, yet God is intent on giving Jacob the blessing. First thing that we see as we look at this is that it's really teaching us about the source of blessing. It's teaching us where does blessing come from? Because I think if we were honest with ourselves, if we, if we really knew how to examine ourselves, if we really knew how to look at our own actions, we would have to say that, that most of the time we live and act and speak as if um, our salvation, our spiritual life, our, our uh, spiritual position, our, our spiritual attainments, and everything else are up to us. If we really knew what we spoke and acted like, we would realize that so much of the time, we think that we are the source of blessing, that our actions are the source of blessing, that our decisions are the source of blessing, that what we do, what we say, who we party up with, who we spend time with, what we do, all of that plays into how we get blessing. And, you know, I say that because that's what everybody in this family is doing. That's what Jacob's doing. Jacob, remember Jacob, he, or I'm sorry, Isaac. Isaac knew that God had said to his wife when the twins were in her womb, the older will serve the younger. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Before the twins had done anything good or evil that the purpose of God might stand, according to election, Isaac knew that God had chosen Jacob and not Esau. That is the recurrent theme through the Bible. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Jacob will be the child of promise. I will sovereignly set my blessing on Jacob. And yet for all of that, I want to say this this morning. A lot of people wrestle with the doctrine of election. I get it. I mean, I don't get it because it's so clear in Scripture, but I get it. Um, Jacob is fighting against God's electing purposes in this chapter. Isn't that interesting? He knows, I'm sorry, Isaac. Isaac is fighting against God's electing purposes in this chapter. He knows that God has said, I have set my grace sovereignly and freely on Jacob and not on Esau. But he still fights against it and he tries to connive and scheme and tries to pass the covenant blessing off to Esau rather than to Jacob. Now, I think there's a lesson there for us. I think there is a huge lesson for us. And that lesson is we can know all about the God of Scripture. We can know everything that he has breathed out. We can know more theology than 99% of people on the planet. And we can still try to fight against the purposes of God. We can still act in fleshly, sinful action, even in the realm of our spiritual lives. That's what Jacob's doing. Jacob is acting as a prophet against the revealed will of God. He is fighting against the revealed will of God. That is never a good idea. That does not turn out well for Isaac. Isaac gets deceived. Now, now that's, that's the big point in this. When God determines to bless an individual, when he determines to redeem an individual, when he determines to show grace to an individual, God's way will prosper. There's a proverb, um, one we ought to revisit a lot. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Many are the plans of a man's heart, 
but the Lord's counsel that will stand. That's what this chapter is teaching, that he is the sovereign source of saving and redeeming blessing. And no matter what Isaac does, and no matter what Rebecca does, no matter what Jacob does, and no matter what Esau does, God's purposes will stand. Now that is gloriously comforting if you're in Jesus Christ. If you, if you have come to Jesus Christ, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, that means that God's purposes have stood for you. Though you are just as undeserving and unworthy as everybody else in this chapter. You know, for the life of me, I, I've often thought about this. The history of, of Jacob's descendants, Israel, Old Covenant Israel, the Old Covenant Church, is a history of rejecting the grace of God and the mercy of God, the sovereign, the very thing we're talking about. It's a history of them rejecting and trying to establish their own righteousness, trying to, to set up their own righteousness and not to trust in the righteousness of God through the Redeemer. That's, that's the entire history of Jacob's descendants. The bulk of the Bible is about that. Even in the days of Christ, he is combating that. Here is the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the descendant of Jacob, the true Israel, who came to give righteousness to his people, to bless his people by grace, and, and the Pharisees and the scribes kill him to hold on to their own righteousness, their own self-wicked pride and self-righteousness. And, and, and yet, in the midst of all of that, God says, I am still going to be merciful, I'm still going to be gracious, I'm still going to redeem uh, the, the, the true children of promise. I'm still going to set my love and my mercy on some. And, and as, I, as we read the Bible, you come to a chapter like this. And you think, okay, this is the first book that God gives Israel. Like, this is it. This is the first place. Like, we're not moving past anything until we've gotten this. How in the world can they read Genesis 27? How in the world can we read Genesis 27? And not see that it doesn't matter one iota what we think or do or try to do. God's purposes in saving his people by grace are the only thing that matters. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. I will be compassionate to whom I will be compassionate. How in the world can we read a chapter like this and not walk away with a large theology of God's sovereign grace? Undeserved unworthy, though Isaac sought to usurp the Lord's plan regarding his son Esau, who he wanted to be heir, God had purposed that Jacob would be heir. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that it's not, just, it's not just Isaac who's acting according to the flesh. It's, it's Rebecca. Rebecca hears the plan. She calls Jacob. She takes matters into her own hands, and she says, go let us deceive, let me lead you into this deception, and we're going to get the blessing for you. Now, that's, that's supremely instructive to us because Rebecca, on one hand, is acting out of a fact that she knows that God has said Jacob will be the heir of the promises, Jacob will be redeemed, Jacob will have covenant blessing, Jacob will be the one that God is saving, and Esau will serve him. And be less than him. And Jacob will be treated as the firstborn. But instead of trusting God to work that out in his timing, in his way, and according to his plan, she acts according to the flesh as well. And she says, we will deceive to get that blessing. Now, I think that there's, there's a word there for us that one of the things that we can do is we can try to attain perhaps even good and right things 
with the wrong means and the wrong heart. It's very possible. Um, this is why people go to church week in and week out, but they're not there worshiping Jesus. They think they're going to attain to some kind of spiritual standing before God um, by just going and being there or giving a certain amount of money or doing this. And it bleeds out, doesn't it? It bleeds out when things don't, don't seem to unravel the way that they, we think that they should in our lives, then we begin to complain. And we begin to say, well, you know, we do this, and we do that, and we do this. And that just shows that it's the same heart that Rebecca has. Rebecca is trying on her own, in her own flesh, to gain the covenant blessing for her son, for her favorite son. Now, there is, um, there is an engaging plot. There is... Um, as, as we see the source of blessing unfolding, we see it against the background of this very um, sinister and, and even discouraging plot. And as Rebecca tells her son to go in, it's very interesting that Jacob listens to his mother, not because, and, and he listens to his mother because he's her favorite. And, and by the way, that's a great way to divide up your family, is to pick your favorite children, team up with them, and work in opposition. That's what they're doing. And, um, and, and yet, at one point, he even objects to his mother. And, and you wonder, well, is, is Jacob maybe acting virtuous? Because up to this point, Jacob hasn't acted virtuous. Nothing, we've seen nothing about Jacob that's been virtuous. He is a swindling, conniving deceiver. That's all he is. And, and yet, he tells his mom, this is a bad idea. And, and there's, there, you're meant to think, well, maybe you read that far, you haven't read further, maybe he's, he's acting out of some moral compass now. He realizes, hey, this is wrong. We shouldn't do this. This isn't the way it works. The Lord's going to provide. But no, he, he, he acts uh, contrary to his mother's advice because he realizes this is going to be really hard to pull off. And once she convinces him that, no, 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 well, I'll go cook. You put on the skins. We'll pull this off. We'll make you smell like game and like you've just been out hunting and we will pull this off. He is ready to follow his mother's bad advice. And as they do and as he goes in, you see in this chapter that um, Isaac's, it's, it's more than Isaac's eyes that are dim. Um, isn't that interesting that the chapter opens in verse 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim. I think that's sort of a, a double entendre. Like, yes, he's lost his eyesight. Yes, he's probably lost some of his hearing to an extent. Um, hasn't lost his sense of smell. We know that for sure. But, but there's a sense where this blindness has reached more than to his eyes. It's reached into his heart. He's blind to how he's acting with regard to Esau. And then he's blind to the deception of Jacob. He... You, you almost wonder. It's almost like one of those commercials. I, I read someone pointing this out, and at least they used to do it back in the day where they'd have the, the different drinks, and they would have the wrappers around them, and then they would blindfold somebody, and then they would just, they, they'd trick them into guessing which one they're drinking. And, and that's sort of what happens here. You wonder how, how in the world can, can Jacob, uh, how in the world can Isaac be deceived? I think, I think Isaac was deceived by Jacob 
not because Jacob did such a good job of pulling it off, because I mean, his voice is the voice of Jacob. He had probably more of a soft voice, and Esau had more of a roughshod voice, and, and he knew their voices. He's 137 years old. You're going to know your kids' voices when you're 137. And, and yet, what's happening is Isaac is wanting so badly for Esau to have the blessing that it's as if he allows himself to be deceived, to convince himself that he's giving that blessing to Esau. And as Rebecca goes and she makes the game and she brings the food and Jacob takes it in and he eats, you see, you see the spiritual deception and swindling of Jacob. Now, very interesting, um, Jacob lies at every point he comes in, he says to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. He very strategic too. It's, it's very interesting how deceptive we can be. Um, he doesn't just say it's Esau. He says it's Esau, your firstborn. Remember, it's the firstborn son that gets the blessing in this culture. And it was God's design that the firstborn was the heir. That was the natural course of things. Just like uh, in many cultures throughout human history, if, if a father died and left an inheritance, he would give all his children inheritance, but he might give a, a greater share to his firstborn son. That was a natural practice. That was something God had initiated. And when Jacob comes in to deceive, he comes in and he, he is so absolutely perfect in his deception. He says, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. And as Isaac gives him that pushback, and his first pushback in verse 20 is, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? You see, Isaac knows that, that this is not possible. And, and notice what Jacob does there in verse 20. Jacob, full of lying deception, says, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Now, everybody who has preached this, that I've ever heard preach this, every commentary, everything that's ever written, says Jacob is so full of deceit and, and lying and falsehood and, and sin and wickedness that he even invoked the name of the Lord in order to get the blessing. That he would, he would even say, he would invoke the Lord's name to get that blessing in his act of deception. But I have a friend who pointed out to me recently, and I think he may actually be right, that what Jacob may be doing is acting so much like Esau that he's even saying things he thinks Esau would say. Remember, Esau is completely ungodly. Esau has rejected the faith of his grandfather and his father. And, and it's possible that Esau was in the practice of saying, oh yeah, the Lord, your God, to his father. And so when Jacob goes in to deceive, he is trying to act in every way. He is stepping into the role of Esau. He even wears the garments of Esau. He, he takes the place of his brother in every way to deceive his father. And notice that in verse 20, Jacob went near to Isaac, his father. And, and again, when Isaac calls him out on the voice discrepancy and, and he doesn't recognize him, but, but he takes it at face value. And he says, are you really my son? And then Isaac kisses him and he raises his hands and he blesses his son. Now, before we look at the blessing and the nature of the blessing, I want to um, just consider finally Esau. You, you see, you've seen Jacob in his 
I've seen Isaac in his conniving. You've seen Rebecca in her conniving. You've seen Jacob in his deceptions and his deceiving, and all of the 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 just the 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 convolution of this family. And now Esau comes back. And again, you're almost made to feel sorry for Esau in this chapter. You almost feel sorry for him. I mean, it, it seems unfair, doesn't it? He he even cries out at one point, "My brother has stolen." The blessing for me. He, he seems like the victim. But remember, back in chapter 25, he sold the blessing off for a bowl of soup, for lentil beans. He had despised everything about the covenant religion that God had revealed to his grandfather. He despised the idea that we needed a redeemer. He despised the idea that he was a sinner and that he needed grace. He despised the idea that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, had revealed himself and that he was to believe the covenant promises that his, his father and his mother believed and that his grandfather and grandmother had believed. He despised everything about it. And with Esau coming now to Jacob, you see one more layer of what God's doing to uncover the deception and to show that, that he and he alone is the source of blessing. He, he comes in and, he, and he, he's angry. Esau um, cries out with that bitter cry. And he says, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and now he has taken away my blessing. Now, Esau is doing something, which we'll talk about in just a second. He is actually conflating and confused over the nature of the covenant blessing. He actually doesn't understand the nature of the covenant blessing. He merely thinks in terms of physical, material blessing. He merely thinks in terms of some kind of earthly blessing. Even the language of the blessing, which we'll see in a second, carries with it that idea. It contrasts the spiritual and the heavenly with the earthly. And, and Esau, he, he weeps. And there's this verse in Hebrews that says that, that no place was found for repentance in Esau, even though he sought it diligently with many tears. And, and people have often said, well, that, that means then somebody could want to be saved, could want to repent of their sins, but God wouldn't grant it. That's not what that verse is saying. Esau never seeks out repentance of his sin. Esau went, remember, and took Hittite wives to himself. Esau then devises to kill his brother Jacob for stealing the birthright immediately after this. Esau seeks with many tears the blessings, the earthly material blessings that he thinks are the substance of the blessings that his father is going to confer. Now, what that means is that it's possible for us to fall into the same traps in the realm of our relationship with the Lord. It is very possible. You know, on one hand, um, Isaac and Rebecca really are only seeking for the, 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 the earthly success of their sons. That's why they do what they do. They do what they do. They're not thinking about their relationship with the Lord. They're not thinking about their spiritual gain. They're not thinking about, are my children going to heaven or hell forever? They're not thinking about that. They're not thinking about what the Lord wants us thinking about. They're thinking about how can my favorite child succeed in the here and now. And Esau, riding on the tails of that, comes in and thinks, how can I make advancements in this life in the here and now? 
Isaac is promoting that sort of thinking in Esau. He is promoting the thinking that as long as my child is successful, has a good job, went to a good college, has a good house, good family, keeps it together, stays at home, doesn't cheat on his wife, great. That's not what life is about. That's not what God wants for us. That's not how we should think for our children. It's not how we want our children thinking, and yet it's how millions of professing Christians live and act and think every single day of their life. And I think God's allowing this to unfold so that we would learn that lesson, so that we would say, my first main cause of concern is not that my child is okay for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, because then there's going to be a judgment day, and they're going to have to give an answer for everything they've ever done. And I'm going to give an answer for how I taught them and what I taught them and what I said to them and what I taught them to value and how I modeled that before them. This family serves as a picture of a family we do not want to be like. It doesn't matter where you are in life, how old you are, how young you are, how old your children are, or how young they are. This is not a family we want to emulate. Yet behind that, God is saying, I am still in the process of redeeming and giving the covenant blessing. And then so secondly, and very quickly, this chapter teaches us about the nature of those covenant blessings. Now, you see it, don't you, in the words that Isaac pronounces. Remember, Isaac is in part acting in faith and in part is acting in the flesh. And he's thinking he's pronouncing the blessing on, um, on Esau, but he's, he's conferring it in reality as a prophet. This is God, the Holy Spirit, prophesying through him in a very special and unique way. And, and he says, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now, interesting. The language in the latter part is a modified version of what God had said to Abraham. It's the same covenant promises. It is referring to the work of redemption. It is referring to the nations coming and worshiping at the feet of the son of Abraham. It is referring to God saying that the Redeemer would come from Abraham, the nations would become his, and that everyone who cursed him would be cursed, and everyone who blessed him would be blessed, and that he would bless the nations of the world with his saving grace. It is, it is the redemptive historical covenant promises of God. It is not merely just an earthly prosperity. Nations are going to serve you. Everybody's going to serve you. It is spiritual in nature. And the language imitating and flowing from that first pronouncement of the blessing to Abraham shows that. I think also the fact that Isaac knows he's to pass that on. That's part of God's covenant, that he gives covenant promises to believers and their children. And we're to hold out those promises to our children and we're to draw them to Jesus Christ with those covenant promises. We are to lure them to the Savior with the covenant promises. And, and we see the nature of these blessings um, by way of contrast in, in what's pronounced over Esau. Notice, um, notice verse uh, 39, Isaac says to Esau, after Esau cries out, is there no blessing left, left for me? And, and in a sense, Isaac is saying, no, there are only curses left for you. 
There are no more blessings. If it was material, surely he could have conjured up a little bit of something to give to Esau. But there are no more blessings. This blessing that he pronounces on Esau is a curse. And he he says, look, you're going to be away from blessing and away from bounty. You're going to be cast away from the dew of heaven. You're going to live by the sword. You're going to serve your brother. You're going to grow restless. And you're going to seek to break his yoke off of your neck. You are going to hate everything about the kingdom of God in Christ. That is essentially what Isaac is saying to Esau. Now, there's so much more we could say. But, but the big glaring question that we have to ask as we look at, at these things this morning is, what, what does this have to do with me? This is you sitting there. What does this chapter have to do with you? I mean, surely, yeah. Be a godly parent, or you're going to suffer the ramifications of it. That's clearly an application. That's not the big application. Remember, this takes its place in redemptive history, and it continues on. It, it, It continues. God continues unfolding his plan. That question is, how can a swindler like Jacob be blessed with saving covenant blessings the way he did, even when he tried to go and steal that blessing from his brother, from out from under his brother. How? Jacob is not godlier than Esau. He is not godlier than Esau. Why is he blessed? Why is Esau not blessed? And I think the answer comes that that you are waiting to find out how do these blessings and these curses work together. And the Bible is everywhere unfolding a theology of blessing and cursing. Very interesting. Um, First time the word blessing or bless is used in the Bible, it's a creation with with Adam and Eve. And and God created them and he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. And and no sooner does he do that, that, that all there is is curse, Genesis 3 death and frustration and and now you're not going to take dominion through being fruitful and multiplying. You're not going to take dominion by working diligently. And and as that unfolds and the question the rest of the Bible is how will that blessing be regained again? And there's this marvelous parallel between Jacob and Jesus. There's this not not that the one is pointing to the other by way of um, comparison but it's by way of contrast. Remember, Jacob takes Esau's clothes on himself and, and he plays the part of his brother and he goes in to deceive for the blessing. And, and, and what the Bible very clearly teaches is that, that um, Jesus, who is the descendant of Jacob, comes and he takes all the filthy clothes of his people. He wears your filthy clothes. That's that's. that's squarely taught in scripture and and in wearing our sin and our sin being put on him he he says yes to the covenant curses promised at the end of deuteronomy and throughout israel's history he says to his father my father curse me he says curse me that they may be blessed jesus says yes to the covenant curses so that every jacob of the world of which we are a part can receive the covenant blessings merely by the grace of God. And it's very interesting when Rebecca sends Jacob to Isaac to deceive him, and he says, this is a bad idea. 
Rebecca says, let your curse be on me. And you almost get a sense that God put that in this chapter so that you would realize there is going to be one. Um, there is going to be one upon whom that curse is going to fall. The Apostle Paul says it so clearly, Galatians 3, he says, Christ was made a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham might be ours by faith in him. Christ became a curse so that we might be blessed. That's, that's the solution. That's how Jacob gets the blessing. That's how you get the blessing. That's how our children get the blessing. It's all in Jesus Christ. It's all in him hanging naked, beaten, mocked, shamed, reproached for our sins on the cross. It's him becoming the curse so that we might receive those blessings, the eternal inheritance. I'll say one last thing. Very interesting, too, that Esau is the firstborn son. And as I've already noted, the firstborn son was the one that should have gotten the blessing. He doesn't. He gets the curses. And, and there's this great verse. I don't know if you've ever seen it in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews talking about what we're doing right now, that you've not come to the mountain that may be touched, but to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. When we come to worship, we're coming together. And he says to the church of the firstborn. Now, you got to think about this. That's saying that there's a family where everybody in that family are firstborns. Even with twins, even with quadruplets, that doesn't happen. There's always a firstborn. Always a firstborn. But because Jesus, the firstborn son, takes the curses on himself, wears our filthy clothes, he makes every Jacob that trusts in him to be part of an everlasting family of firstborn sons and daughters who all get the eternal inheritance and blessing. That's this, by the way, this is the crux of what Jesus did on the cross. If this doesn't thrill your heart, I can't help you. That's everything. It's everything. If this doesn't thrill your heart, then your heart is weighed down with the things of this world. And, and I would fear very much, I would fear very much about what happens to the Esau's of this world that reject the grace of God. We want to come to Jesus. We want to trust in him. We want, to, we want to cry out to him for that covenant blessing. We want to praise him for becoming a curse for us so that we might be blessed in him. Let him who has ears to hear this morning, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would move our hearts with joy and with thanksgiving over the truths that you have sent your son into the world, your firstborn, to take the curses upon himself. We pray that you would um, make us to see and to feel our unworthiness and un that we are undeserving of your blessings and yet to realize that in Jesus Christ you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that you have raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places, that you have positioned us in your in your everlasting family as, as a, a family of firstborns. We pray, our God, that you would make us to see the greatness and the freeness and the majesty of your grace towards us. We pray that you would make us uh, more grateful and thankful and better worshipers of the Lord Jesus on account of this. We praise you and bless you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.